Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Monday, April 24th, 2023. It's been 3,344 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 425 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, Russian and Ukrainian sources have agreed with our assessment that Ukrainian forces have retaken or are in the process of retaking the battlefield initiative. Second, Ukrainian forces have increased the activity that's required to launch a large-scale offensive that we assess could start in the next 10 to 18 days depending on the weather, which continues to be uncooperative. The date is at risk of moving later into May without a significant improvement in the weather. Third, our assessment that Russia would launch a new missile strike on Ukrainian civilians, civilian infrastructure, and military targets between April 10th and 22nd was incorrect. This is likely due to Ukrainian forces establishing a dense air defense network, the failure of the Russian campaign to destroy Ukraine's electrical, communication, water, and sewer infrastructure, and a critical shortage of precision munitions. Fourth, the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and have exhausted their combat potential except in the Bakhmut operational area. Fifth, we maintain the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut has reached its final phase and Ukrainian forces continue to execute a planned retrograde operation. Russian successes in the last 48 hours will make the continued defense challenging. Sixth, Russian forces are experiencing a theater-wide shortage of non-precision artillery munitions, particularly anti-tank guided missiles, or ATGMs. Seventh, we maintain that short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, also known as seaburn, weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of the cost. Let's get some regional updates, and since it's a Monday, check in with both belligerents' objectives, starting with Kharkiv. The Russian objective is to prepare for the Ukrainian offensive, hold current defensive lines, and terrorize Ukrainian civilians near the line of conflict. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate the northeastern corner of the oblast, hold defensive lines in the Dvorichna and Kupiansk operational areas, and protect civilians and civilian infrastructure. In the Dvorichna operational area, the situation was stable. In the Kupiansk operational area, the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported that Ukrainian forces launched localized attacks near Orlyansk and Kislivka. 
because the Kremlin has an official policy of only reporting victories and forward advancement, we can't properly evaluate the results of the attacks. In the Svatova operational area, the Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian forces launched a localized attack in the area of Beristova. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. The Russian objective is to prepare for the Ukrainian offensive, prevent further Ukrainian advances, and control insurgent activity. The Ukrainian objective is to break Russian defensive lines, advance on Svatova, Kremina, and Lusychansk, and support insurgents. The Kremina and Lusychansk operational areas were stable, with no reports of significant fighting. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC, reported that a Ukrainian drone struck the occupied settlement of Rovanki near the Russian border. Military officials wrote, quote, Information about the victims and damage is being specified, end quote, and provided no follow-up. Based on previous reports from the LNRJCCC, that is coded language for a military target was hit, and we don't want to talk about it. Radyan Medoshnik, collaborator and the LNR Special Envoy to Moscow, reported that after almost a year since its capture, no efforts had been made to restore Rubizhne, and the city hasn't even been inspected. Sergei Kozlov, chairman of the government of the LNR, said, quote, Almost a year after capture, Rubizhne has not yet been assigned to any of the constituent entities of the Russian Federation. End quote. Kozlov inspected the city for the first time to see what needed to be restored to set priorities. In northeast Donetsk, the Russian objective is to capture Bakhmut, set conditions to attack Kramatorsk, Slovyansk, and Siversk, and capture the entire region. The Ukrainian objective is to defend Siversk and Bakhmut, push into the Luhansk Oblast, and minimize civilian casualties. In the Siversk operational area, a second questionable video has appeared with Russian forces claiming that Chechen Akhmat has captured the gas compressor station in Spirna. The video, released on April 23rd, appears to recycle a video released on March 29th, and the Russia One news story shows different points in time. We move the line of conflict to show the area under Russian control out of an abundance of caution, and despite the open questions on when the video was recorded and two false capture claims in the last 30 days. Adding to doubt about the situation on the same day, the Russian state media agency Izvestia released a short video showing Spirna being shelled. In Bakhmut, heavy fighting was reported in the northwestern, northern, central, and southern parts of the city, with the situation deteriorating significantly. The Russian MOD reported that their forces completed 72 fire missions in the Bakhmut operational area, and six Army Aviation and Russian Air Force, or VKS, close air support sorties. Some assessment. We've made more private assessments in response to public requests by the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, to respect operational security, and because of our policy of not publicly estimating capture or withdrawal dates. Ukrainian forces held the defensive lines at the railroad tracks longer than we anticipated. We maintain that the defense of the city is in its final phase and Ukraine is running out of hard points for a continued effective defense using urban and attritional warfare tactics to its advantage. In an interview with Al-Arabiya, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky reinforced the need for the continued defense of Bakhmut, 
saying, quote, We cannot give up Bakhmut because it will expand the front of hostilities and give Russian troops and Wagner a chance to capture more of our lands. If Russia captures Bakhmut, it can become a springboard for an offensive on two larger cities that it has longed for in the Donetsk region, Kramatorsk and Slovyansk. End quote. Polish combat reporter Mateusz Lochowski reported from the western part of the city on April 23rd, saying, quote, The intensity of the fire is enormous. The city is actually being shelled nonstop. Moving on it is fatal. It is also difficult to record something so as not to reveal the position of the soldiers accidentally. The access roads to the city are under constant fire. I will not reveal the secret when Russians write that logistics often fail because of this. The fight takes place here in nightmarish conditions, in mud, cold, in ruins, under constant fire, and often in underground cellars. Despite all this, the Ukrainians continue to defend themselves. You can evaluate the further defense of Bakhmut differently, but what the defenders of the city are doing here is true heroism. End quote. PMC Wagner has not released a statement or a new territorial control map since April 9th. Northwest of Bakhmut, PMC Wagner attempted to advance on Hryurivka, Bohdanivka, and Hromove. None of the attacks were successful, according to Russian mercenary mill blogger War Gonzo, but Wagner Group has consolidated its positions in the tree line north of the T-506 highway. In the northern part of Bakhmut, Ukrainian forces conducted a successful retrograde operation to Krynya Street, south of the Pivnichny Reservoir, and ceding control of the Rose Alley area to PMC Wagner. There was no status on school number 24, and we moved the line of conflict to the school east of Rose Alley. In central Bakhmut, geolocated videos confirmed that PMC Wagner controls Verkhny Park, Vesezvyatsky Church, and Railroad Station 1. Russian claims that Saltovsky Miasokombinat meat processing plant on Pushlin Avenue was captured refers to a standalone butcher shop. PMC Wagner is advancing on the Ukrainian stronghold at the Medical College and the surrounding high-rise buildings in the city's western quarter. Orgonzo wrote that Ukrainian forces, quote, retreated to level the front line, but at the first opportunity they counterattack, end quote. In our assessment, the State Police Station, Railroad Station 2, and the grain elevators are controlled by PMC Wagner, and Ukrainian forces have no positions east of the railroad tracks. In the southern part of Bakhmut, fighting was lighter along Korsunskoho Street. Ukrainian forces still control schools 2 and 40, the area around the former MiG-17 statue, and the T-504 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that is a supply line. PMC Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin complained that smaller private military companies, including PMC Nevsky, who were tasked to hold the flanks of Bakhmut, retreated due to being underarmed, ill-trained, and facing superior Ukrainian forces. Prigozhin did not, however, criticize the Kremlin or Russian Airborne, or VDV, forces who were supposed to lead the groups. This explains why PMC Wagner took over fighting near Khromova. Fighting continued south of Ivanivsky with no change in the situation. Dixie News, allegedly a Russian news agency that just happens to be part of the press service of Prigozhin, asked the PMC leader if he believed that the Ukrainian military had been ordered to hold Bakhmut at least until May 9th to spoil Victory Day celebrations, many of which are canceled. Prigozhin responded, quote, We are not going to make gifts for May 9th with Bakhmut to anyone. We are not superstitious. 
In Chosovoyar and Konstantinovka, you have started riots among the military personnel of the armed forces of Ukraine. They drop their weapons, get up, and leave. Give them the opportunity to live longer. Do not kill thousands and tens of thousands of Ukrainians with your own hands. End quote. Some assessment. This is a significant shift in the narrative from Prigozhin. Not only his asking for a fight to the last man, now almost 90 days old, but after repeatedly chastising anyone who claims Ukrainian forces are weak, poorly trained, or cowards, he accuses Ukrainian troops of cowardice. Prigozhin's attempts at snark frequently fall flat, and this statement takes away from the courageous story of success for his fighters who have been besieging Bakhmut since early August. Slovyansk was attacked by a single Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missile used for a ground attack. It landed in a residential neighborhood near the quarry, damaging five unoccupied homes and carving out a large crater. In southwest Donetsk, the Russian objective is to prepare for the Ukrainian offensive, consolidate gains made during the winter offensive, and set conditions for September 2022 elections. The Ukrainian objective is to lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, interdict supplies, and disrupt logistics. Wargonzo provided a stunning assessment for a Kremlin-aligned source on the situation in the Avdiivka operational area, writing, quote, The Ukrainian army seeks to seize the initiative. They partially succeed. End quote. Fighting was positional in the Avdiivka operational area, with Russian combat strength exhausted and troops, armor, artillery, and ammunition diverted to Bakhmut and Marinka. Fighting between Novobakhmutivka and Novokalinovka continued, with Ukrainian forces attempting to regain their lost positions on the H-20 highway. Positional fighting continued in the eastern part of Pervomaiske as well, and we maintain our assessment that Russian troops have been pushed to the eastern edge of the village. In the Marinka operational area, the shattered remains of the city are the second area of intense fighting in the theater of war. Russian forces made repeated attacks with inadequate armor and artillery support, which unsurprisingly ended in failure. Ukrainian forces continued to control what was Druzhby Avenue. In the Vukhladar operational area, the Russian MOD claimed that Ukrainian forces launched an attack from Novomikhailivka, while the GSAFU reported that a Russian attack was repulsed. Moving on to Zaporizhia. The Russian objective is to prepare for a Ukrainian offensive and terrorize Ukrainian civilians with continued attacks. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate Russian-occupied areas, prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict, and protect civilians. In the Juliapola operational area, the Russian MOD claimed that Ukrainian forces launched a reconnaissance-in-force attack from Malinivka. On Saturday, Zaporizhia was hit by torrential rain, creating extremely muddy conditions and flooding trenches. In occupied Balkivka and Primorske, Russian troops conducted house-to-house searches. Eight blocks of reactive armor were found in an outbuilding, and 70 rounds of ammunition with an inert RGD-5 grenade were found in an empty home. While collaborator and occupied Zaporizhia administrator Vladimir Ragov celebrated the searches, he appeared to ignore that the rights of residents he claims are under liberation continued to be trampled. 
There was no update on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, or ZNPP. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OKS, reported seven Black Sea Fleet vessels on patrol, including two Kilo-class submarines capable of launching up to eight caliber cruise missiles in total. Captain Natalia Khomenyuk, Director of Communications for OKS, said that Russian Kilo-class submarines have been on extended deployment due to sustained poor weather and the vessel's ability to operate more autonomously. In Russian-occupied Sevastopol, unmanned air and surface drones attacked the Black Sea Fleet. Occupation officials claim that one drone crashed after running out of fuel, and video shows a second drone being shot down. Pictures showed a significant fire burning in the area of the shipyard where the Black Sea Fleet berths. The blast from air defense shattered windows and blew open doors in the city. All boat traffic, including ferry service, was suspended, and helicopters flew over the harbor. Concrete fences were erected near the beaches in Yalta. You know, for privacy. Just kidding. Russian occupiers continued to furiously build defensive positions in what should be a free-fire zone for Russian forces if there was ever an amphibious landing on the beaches. In western and central Ukraine, the Russian objective is to launch terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure to break morale. The Ukrainian objective is to deter attacks and protect civilian lives. Captain Khomenyuk of OKS would neither confirm nor deny if Ukrainian forces are occupying a bridgehead on the east bank of the Dnipro River in Kherson Oblast, saying, quote, The conditions of the military operation require information silence until it is safe enough for our military. Therefore, even the best students of the ISW need to be patient here. End quote. Quick sidebar. The ISW is the Institute for the Study of War. Based on multiple videos, we assess that Dachi, west of the E-97 highway, is under Ukrainian control. But we are unsure of the status of the other Dachi, east of the E-97 highway approach to the destroyed Antonovsky Bridge. Assessment time. In our assessment, Ukrainian forces controlled the area north of the Konka River, and the video showed they had established defensive positions near the E-97 on the outskirts of Olishki. While the Ukrainian presence is significant, and you can claim there is a single position south of the Konka River, the area occupied is the Dnipro River Delta, which is mostly marshland. Ukrainian forces moving across the Dnipro uncontested in the daylight and establishing positions on the E-97 highway approach to Olishki points to larger issues for the Russian military. Unlike earlier raids on the East Bank, which were met with furious resistance, including armored vehicles and airstrikes, there was no such response. This would indicate that better-trained forces have been withdrawn from the area, and Russian forces lack a rapid defense force. It also indicates that a lack of ammunition has degraded the ability to interdict the sea line of communication, that would be an S-lock, over the Dnipro. Gauleiter Yevgeny Belitsky of Kherson complained that the checkpoint to Crimea at Chonhar has become a choke point for traffic for those traveling south, and has appealed for a simplified border crossing process, saying, quote, Having identified the problem, I wrote a letter addressed to Alexander Vasilyevich Bortnikov, director of the Russian FSB, with a request to simplify the procedure for passing the Chonhar border post so that people do not have to stand in lines. End quote. 
You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Ukraine did not announce general mobilization today, and an unlikely source, Russian propagandist Alexander Kotz, called out the Russian disinformation campaign, stating, quote, I do not really understand where the news came out today that a general mobilization has been announced in Ukraine. They also report this fact with far-reaching analytics. So, for reference, general mobilization in Ukraine was announced on February 25, 2022, and since then, it hasn't stopped. I went through the Ukrainian media and found no news on this matter. Why throw this into our information space? End quote. Another disinformation campaign about Ukrainian mobilization was spreading, which is also untrue. Social media posts of Russian origin claimed that Ukrainian conscripts would not be able to enter higher education institutions and would not be able to receive a deferment from mobilization. A decree of this nature is impossible without modifying the Ukrainian constitution and would damage Ukraine's ascension to the European Union. Some assessment. In February and early March, Russia ran a massive disinformation campaign that Ukraine would be issuing conscription by text message and phone app, something Ukrainian officials repeatedly denied. Wouldn't you know it, six weeks later, Russia signed into law conscription by text message and phone app and then, after saying it would not be implemented until the fall, started using the system as a, quote, test in the Moscow and Leningrad regions. Russian combat strength is exhausted, and recruiting efforts to bring in 400,000 volunteers are floundering, while enrollment in PMCs is declining. The Russian state Duma never withdrew the September 21, 2022 partial mobilization decree, which allows for the mobilization of hundreds of thousands of more soldiers. If this disinformation campaign expands, in our assessment, it's a sign that the Kremlin is considering going beyond stealth mobilization through penal units, criminal diversion, forced mobilization in the occupied territories, and stop-loss orders among existing troops. The Czech Republic transferred 12 more T-72M4CZ tanks a heavily upgraded version of the Russian T-72 main battle tank, or MBT. So far, the Czech Republic has provided over 50 of the T-72 variants, almost two-thirds of their inventory. Speaking of inventory, let's talk about the Russian military mobilization and MIR. Russian forces have started to use rain gear lined with insulation to reduce the thermal signature of soldiers. For now, the system they're using works a little too well, and the troops wearing them appear colder than the surrounding areas, with their feet, hands, and heads showing up as hotspots. Russian-aligned opposition publication Astra released a story indicating that Nikolai Peskov was likely never in Ukraine and with PMC Wagner, contrary to reports by Wagner Group head Yevgeny Prigozhin and Kremlin Press Secretary Dmitry Peskov. The junior Peskov, 33 years old, 
was reportedly an infantryman with an Uragan Multiple Launch Rocket System, or MLRS, unit assigned to PMC Wagner. At the time of his alleged service, however, his Tesla was racking up traffic and parking tickets, documented on publicly available speed camera records. As for the video, shared as proof the younger Peskov was in Ukraine, that video was already shared on January 21, 2023, by Russian propagandist Vladimir Solovyov. PMC Wagner Telegram channel Reverse Side of the Metal shared a still picture from the video, saying Peskov was near Solidar at the end of January and, quote, at that moment, rifle battles were still going on on the outskirts of the city, end quote. Quick sidebar. We would like to remind our readers that the video of the possible Peskov was shot on January 21, 2023, nine whole days after PMC Wagner declared victory over all of Solidar. Exactly none of this story adds up. Colonel General and aspiring dentist Ramzan Don Don Kadyrov released a new video showing another batch of Chechen Akhvat forces being deployed. A drone video shows a nearly empty parade ground with roughly two companies of new troops in formation without heavy weapons, armored vehicles, and only partially supported by civilian SUVs. The recruits are assigned to the 94th Regiment of the 46th Separate Operational Brigade of the Russian Guard. Quick question. In what universe are two companies of light infantry a brigade? That's not even an understaffed battalion. In Berdyansk, medical professionals who were forced to receive Russian passports to continue to hold their medical licenses are being mobilized to fill in as combat medics for the occupation forces, despite an acute shortage of nurses and doctors. While the forced conscription of civilians in occupied territories is a war crime, Russia is skirting the edge of the law due to the illegal and largely unrecognized annexation decree and the forced passportization. In the occupied Luhansk settlement of Stanitsya Luhanska, the GSAFU claimed that elements of the Russian military and PMC Wagner got into a firefight with each other after a dispute, causing multiple casualties. There was no other information at the time of recording. The Russian Central Committee admitted they were engaging in stealth mobilization with recent immigrants from the Central Asian nations New citizens who recently received a Russian passport receive mobilization notifications practically simultaneously. If they refuse to respond or serve, they risk losing their Russian citizenship and face deportation. Those in Russia on work permits are promised a passport if they fight in Ukraine on an 18-month contract. If they refuse, they're threatened with immediate deportation. These actions are being taken despite a critical labor shortage. Radar Online claims that Russian Admiral Sergei Avakyants was dismissed from command of the Russian Northern Fleet because of failures during the recent readiness snap drill, partially caused by naval infantry deployments to Ukraine. Avakyants reportedly skirted around direct orders from the Kremlin to move sailors and officers into infantry roles, saying his, quote, sailors, trained officers, well-coordinated crews would not be torn apart, end quote. A Russian soldier from the Moscow region was mobilized in September 2022 and sent to Crimea as part of the naval infantry to build defensive fortifications. During a doctor's visit in Simferopol, it was discovered that he had HIV, which he may have gotten from a botched flu shot received during his induction into the Russian military. 
The military hospital discharged him back to Moscow and his unit's headquarters in Surpukhov, as Russian soldiers with HIV are not supposed to continue military service. The orders given were in error. After starting treatment for HIV at a private clinic, the Mopik was threatened with imprisonment for desertion once the mistake was discovered. As punishment for desertion, he's been held in a zindan, that's an open-air pit, for 11 days, despite the incredibly poor weather conditions. All is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. The Moscow City Court left Wall Street journalist Evan Gershkovich accused of espionage in a pre-trial detention center. During his hearing on Thursday, the defense requested bail be set at 50 million rubles, 602,500 U.S. dollars, which was declined. The video showed that Gershkovich had marks on at least one wrist from his handcuffs being too tight. A day after two PMC Wagner penal unit commanders claimed they were ordered to commit a litany of war crimes, Makazam Uldanov, who claimed he oversaw the execution of up to 400 civilians in a single basement, blew up 50 Ukrainian POWs with Russian soldiers who were deserters and executed a five-year-old child, recanted his story. In RIAFAN, a Russian state media agency controlled by PMC Wagner leader Prigozhin, Uldarov accused journalist Volodymyr Osechkin, who broke the story for Gulag.net, of blackmail. After Uldarov's claims, Prigozhin announced he had filed a complaint against Gulag.net for, quote, discredit to Wagner under the so-called Don't Say War laws, and has requested a criminal case be filed. The PMC Wagner leader claims that Uldarov was given a script written by Andriy Troshev, who is the head of the League for the Protection of the Interests of Veterans of Local Wars and Military Conflicts. On Saturday, Prigozhin announced that PMC Wagner would not take any more prisoners of war and would issue summary executions to any Ukrainian captured by his mercenaries. He claims he made this order after hearing an intercepted radio transmission of Ukrainian forces being told to execute a wounded Wagner mercenary. In geopolitical news, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov is upset that the United States would not issue a visa to an entourage of Russian state media reporters for an upcoming trip to New York to visit the United Nations. A Kremlin spokesperson said, quote, Americans resorted to another outrageous, absolutely unacceptable trick during the preparations for Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov's participation in events marking Russia's presidency of the UN Security Council, which is coming to an end. The Americans pretended that they were working and that a solution would soon be found. End quote. In a separate interview, Lavrov declared, quote, I insist that we will find ways to respond to this so that the Americans learn once and for all that this is unacceptable. End quote. Quick sidebar. Okay, this is growth and progress. He didn't rant about Nazis, make awful Holocaust comparisons, or threaten nuclear war. This sets the bar incredibly low, but we'll take what we can get. An anonymous Russian diplomat told the Russian state media agency RIA Novosti that following the visa incident, Russia will treat U.S. journalists like the U.S. treated Russian journalists. Quick question, just... For clarification, 
Does this mean that Evan Gershkovich will be returned to the United States to his job as a reporter for the Wall Street Journal? On Tuesday, Ukrainian President Zelensky had a telephone call with U.S. Speaker of the House of Representatives, Congressman Kevin McCarthy, a Republican from California. Zelensky thanked McCarthy for the U.S. Congress's bipartisan support of Ukraine, outlined the situation at the front and Ukraine's urgent defense needs regarding armored vehicles, long-range artillery, air defense, and military aircraft. Zelensky said, quote, I assured him that Ukraine is prepared to account for every dollar of U.S. aid spent, end quote. The two leaders also discussed the need to increase sanctions pressure on Russia and further reduce the Russian oil and gas price cap. At the end of their call, Zelensky offered a second invitation for McCarthy to visit with him in Ukraine. Speaker McCarthy declined an invite back in March. President Luis Inácio Lula da Silva of Brazil said during a trip to China that the United States is encouraging war in Ukraine, and Ukraine should cede Crimea to Russia. John Kirby, coordinator for strategic communications for the U.S. National Security Council, said, quote, In this case, Brazil is parroting Russian and Chinese propaganda without looking at the facts. Obviously, we want the war to end. That could happen right now, today if Mr. Putin would stop attacking Ukraine and pull its troops out, end quote. A day later, Da Silva started to walk back his comments, saying he supported the territorial integrity of Ukraine, but remains an advocate of mediation to end the war. The change came after the spokesperson for the Ukrainian foreign ministry, Ole Nikolenko, said, quote, Ukraine does not trade its territories, end quote. On Saturday, during a visit to Portugal, Da Silva said Moscow and Kyiv are responsible for the continuation of the war and called for a third-party path to find a negotiated peace. The president of Portugal, Marcelo Rebelo de Sousa, while at a press conference with Lula, distanced himself from the Brazilian leader, saying, quote, Portugal has a different position. We believe that in order for the path to peace to become possible, Ukraine must first have the right to respond to the invasion, end quote adding that the Ukrainian people have a fundamental right to self-defense. South Korean President Yoon Sung-yeol said that in the event of an escalation of violence and a massive attack on civilians, South Korea could join other Western allies and provide military aid to Ukraine. South Korea has a standing policy not to provide arms to nations engaged in war, but has worked with the United States to support the transfer of 155mm ammunition. The foreign ministers of Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia condemned remarks made by Liu Xie, China's ambassador to France. Liu alleged the nations have no status under international law, saying, quote, In international law, the former Soviet states do not even have the status of, how shall I put it, actual status in international law because there is no international agreement that gives substance to their sovereignty, end quote. Okay, some important context here. Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia were illegally occupied and annexed by the Soviet Union in the summer of 1940 as part of the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, an agreement between German Nazi leader Adolf Hitler and Soviet Union leader Joseph Stalin to split control of Europe between the two leaders. The Latvian foreign ministry has summoned the chargé d'affaires of the Chinese embassy in Riga to explain China's position. 
and Lithuanian Foreign Minister Gabrielus Landsbergis said the Chinese diplomats' remarks clearly illustrate why Beijing cannot be a mediator in any peace talks in Ukraine, saying, quote, If anyone is still wondering why the Baltic states don't trust China to broker peace in Ukraine, here's a Chinese ambassador arguing that Crimea is Russia and our country's borders have no legal basis, end quote. Estonian Foreign Minister Margus Sakhna also condemned the Chinese ambassador's remarks, saying, quote, The Chinese diplomats' remarks are incomprehensible. We condemn such comments about an independent and sovereign country. End quote. Sakhna added that the Estonian Ministry of Foreign Affairs would summon China's representative. In Mali, al Qaeda terrorists attacked a PMC Wagner base using three explosive laden vehicles. The Malian government reported 29 Wagner mercenaries were killed and 60 wounded in the assault. The situation in Sudan continues to deteriorate, with the Sudanese army and the Russian-backed PMC Wagner-supported rapid support forces engaged in intense fighting. Multiple nations, including the United States, evacuated their diplomatic staff, some under fire. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.